to episode 22 of the bit beacon broadcast it's february 28 2024 kodax is here that's me ravenheart and we're gonna jump into uh well let's it's been a minute since yeah. we recorded maybe yeah we let's should. address that i got uh really sick right after uh pokemon go sino tour mm-hmm. the following day that monday or actually that sunday night um, I had like a fever. Um, I went to bed and all week long I kept leaving work early. Um, and I, this is no joke. Like I actually did really did do this. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I was leaving at like 11 every day, which I kind of, it was nice, but I was just going home and sleeping, but, uh, I don't want to get Rick sick. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't have really been up for doing a very good job anyways. A week off was, I'm not going to lie pretty welcome though yeah it's, it's been you know this is tough to do it's not nothing but maybe one of the worst weeks to take off yeah just from a news perspective true we had like a nintendo direct we had like an xbox business update we have like a pokemon presents there's been a lot going on yeah oh yeah um so that's, that's why we're back yeah we have we're gonna do two episodes back to back tonight our hope is to get both of these episodes out this week so for next week, we're kind of caught up on everything, and we can be current again. So I apologize if uh, some of this is maybe old news, but we wanted to still talk about it, and I know some of our listeners just use us as their news right. source. Yeah. So you know. some, some do. <laughs> I want to make sure that we're not just leaving them in the behind. Anyway, especially episode 21, we were like, we're going to have more to say about this next week. We're going right. to talk about this Oh more. yeah, we had a whole bunch of cliffhangers and stuff in yeah. the last episode. So we're going to follow up on all of that. We're not going to leave you hanging there. Um, but real quick, um, I've actually had a bunch of like things from Limited Run and other pre-orders show up, but we're just going to talk about one game that we both got this episode. Okay. Um, and the what have we been playing? Well, or, at least name the what you got. Oh, well, okay. I, I have some other stuff I'm going to talk about in the next episode. Oh, okay. But, uh, and I'll, I'll get to that other stuff eventually. Okay. But one thing that Rick and I both got that showed up recently is a 3DS game mm-hmm. um, called Fragrant Story. It's a new 3DS game. A new 3DS game. Well, it's both new and it's, it's yeah, old. Yeah, true. It's a, it's, a, it's a re-release, I suppose you'd say. It's got an interesting backstory. So this particular release of Fragrant Story um, is packaged as being the like expanded edition with this new DLC expansion called Papaya's Path. And the artwork kind of features almost looking like it's like two kind of games in one sort mm-hmm. of a thing. Um, but there's an interesting story to Fragrant Story, and I'll briefly go over it. So back in early, uh, I think spring of 2021, Fragrant Story was this really small eShop game that was like two or three bucks. And the developer, the solo developer, his name is William Cage, and his own company is called Squire Games. Um he put out a physical release of this really small 3DS game. Now, people were kind of like, 
maybe being a little negative about it because they're like, really, man, you're you're mm-hmm. releasing, you're selling this thirty dollar game. Yeah, that's like two dollars on the eShop, right. you know, and an hour long. Yeah, like in a really short game too. So the developer acknowledged all of that and promised people that he was going to release a huge update for this game that would add a lot of new content. Um, didn't he reason his release? Of the one-hour experience yeah, needing to get in the door. Exactly. So Nintendo, at this point, had started talking about winding down 3DS and Wii U eShop functionality and services. I think at this point, that the upcoming deadline in 2020... I think... Was it 2022? I think it was 2022. Sorry, mm-hmm. not 2021. Um, in 2022, the deadline that was upcoming was you'd no longer be able to like fund... Mm-hmm. Add funds on like 3ds and Wii U. Right. So he knew that like the the end times were coming for the console. So he was like, I'm gonna put out this short version of my game, and then I'm gonna vow to update it later. And uh, he was told by Nintendo that Nintendo, even if the eShop would shut down, he would still be able to release the update, and people would still be able to update it. Mm-hmm. So now fast forward to fall of last year. He finally released the update, mm-hmm. and uh, the 3DS had since at that point totally closed. Right, you could no longer, you can't even access. It. The only thing you can do if you open the 3DS eShop is download titles you previously purchased. Right, and even that days aren't probably numbered. Yeah, they say that's still there for the foreseeable future, the but who knows how long that'll really last? Right, you know, another two or three years, maybe at most. Um, and so what he's done is he had leftover copies of this 2022 release of Fragrance Story that he put in a new box, shrink-wrapped, included some new bonuses, um, and you know gave it a new cover artwork. Mm-hmm. And is, so it's re-releasing Fragrance Story. as this, It's the same cartridge that released yep. you know, two years ago, effectively now. Right. But you can insert the cartridge into a 3DS... And it will prompt you to update it when you launch the cartridge. So he made good on his promise, uh, which is pretty pretty cool. That you know he could have easily just sold this one dollar physical game that yeah. would cost thirty five dollars or whatever it was, and just kind of walked away. Right. You know, collectors would have to have it because right. they need their complete oh, yeah. North a, America. There's a whole market that would need that. Yeah, um, and you know, and I mean like. It's a. It would have just been a unique oddity. Oh, this weird one-hour-only game on yeah. physical copy. I examples of that exist. Yeah, on Vita and probably Definitely. 3DS. And there was one other little side note to Fragrant Story. Um, shortly before the 3DS and Wii U eShops fully closed last year, he released a code in the box, code in a box style release for Fragrant Story. He sold it for like five dollars on his website. It came with like a couple little random trinkets in the box, and then a scratch code that you could use to redeem for a digital copy of Fragrant Story. The same original game. The right? same original game, yeah. But it, you know, the box is pretty nice looking. I think um, it's got almost like a going for like an Amano style, yeah, illustration. I mean, even the yeah, the the font. Um, now here's a fun fact. Every copy of Fragrance Story contains a fragrance. Mm-hmm. So why don't you sniff this copy? Sure. Is, is it a different fragrance on uh, every copy? Or? I'm not totally sure about that. I don't really like this fragrance. Yeah, that honest. smells a little weird. 
But uh, I appreciate the effort he went. I think it's in the seal yeah. the fragrance okay. is at. Um, so it's not like inside the box or the cartridge or something. But uh, yeah, you can sniff this box if mm-hmm. you'd like. Interesting. Uh, but that, that's fragrance story. Oh, we should talk a little bit about the game. Yeah, so it screams Final Fantasy Tactics. It just, like the enemies, the style of the yeah. enemies, the style of the character art, the environments look like a total spiritual successor yeah. to uh, Final Fantasy Tactics, which gets me super excited. Yeah. I understand after the update, it's a pretty good experience. Yeah. It's simple in its pre- presentation, but um, like it's it's like got like a isometric, you know, grid-based kind of background, like Final Fantasy Tactics, like you're saying. Right. Um, I don't know that there's like terrain and things like that. I think uh, it's mostly on flat. There might be obstacles in your path. Okay. That was one mechanic that Tactics had. It was like height. Yeah. Values with certain cells on the map. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, still still a cool thing and happy for the dev. Oh, yeah. It's got to be, uh, you know, feel good to make good on his promise and kind of prove the haters wrong. Right. Yeah. It's also, you know, just extremely difficult to be a solo dev yeah. and put something like this together. Particularly 3DS. Yeah. Like, that must have been an ordeal, yeah. getting these made. Just knowing that, like, the, the 3DS lines, the factory lines were shutting down to produce copies of games. And they had to convince Nintendo to, like, give him some of those precious physical copies that were still, you know, available yeah. for usage. Yeah. Do you, do you have any, like, insight on how long the game development cycle took him? I don't. He has, like, a public Twitter and things like that. He has a Patreon as well. Okay. Um, he he claims... Well, I don't want to say he claims, but he has always said his games are not for profit. I think it's, like, something... It's, like, a hobby of his, and I think he, like, donates money to, like, animal shel- Like, all the proceeds to, like, animal shelters. Gotcha. Uh, and he recently made, turned his company into a 5013C, which means, like, he absolutely has to donate yeah. the money or right. like you know use the funds according to the like the bylaws of this corporation that he's this mm-hmm. charitable organization he's founded right otherwise you know uncle sam's gonna come chasing yeah. him oh yeah uh is he in the u.s i believe so yeah because okay. i think he ships all these himself and everything gotcha. one thing i do like about the new one is that it's like properly shrink wrapped yeah oh like, yeah it looks really good. This is how the first one came. Yeah. And like uh Oh, I thought this is something you put on. No, no. It's, <laughs> yeah, this is like something you can actually buy online. Yeah, it's just like a little cellophane it's sleeve. It's like a protector. Yeah. Now, I mean, you can tell when these have been like reopened. Open. Yeah. You, you'll never get the perfect like fit again. Seal. Yeah. Um so, but I noticed like the 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 seal stickers on the box itself are like they're constantly like kind of popping off and I have to like mm. push them back down. Got you. He probably packed them himself. Oh yeah, I have no doubt. These look like they actually got like proper packed yeah. somewhere, like yeah. by like a oh an yeah. This line. this was done by a factory for yeah. sure. Um, so impressive. Yeah, yeah. like crazy a solo dev yeah. doing that. Like really investing in his, you know. Um, I know with Nintendo, I know with Switch for sure, developers, when you publish, you get, unless you pay extra to have it shipped to like a a third party, you actually get sent the cartridges loose. In like a tray. Yeah. Yeah. You get sent the cases loose and then 
printing you it out. Yeah, 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 your sleeves printed or whatever in separate packages yeah. on separate days, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, and yeah, you have to figure it out from there. Yeah. So either you do it yourself. Yeah. So what I've seen a lot from, uh, especially like smaller game publishers, mm-hmm. like sometimes Switch games, the quality of the shrink wrap will vary greatly. Yeah. Like some of them use that, like the heat wrap, which mm-hmm. like I hate because it usually like makes the box like all warped, the plastic on the yeah. case all warped. So I think that's a side effect of what I just said. Oh, yeah. You know, they have to go figure it out. Right. And I don't think Nintendo has anything to say about who they go with no. for that shrink yeah. wrap. You can shrink wrap it however you like. Yeah, basically. use a, <laughs> <use> a blow dry. <laughs> yeah, do it at home yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know Limited Run, they've actually talked about publicly, like, they've gone through different, like, shrink wrap people over the years for their Switch games. Mm-hmm. And there was there was a particular period where they had, like... This the high like super nice high quality like shrink wrap like Nintendo level like good but they've since moved to like someone cheaper yeah and it's not it's not bad quality but sometimes you get that like where it feels like really loose around a yeah. game it doesn't feel like that tight and even I get into that mindset where yeah. I'm like ooh the shrink wrap could be a little nicer we, but we will talk about it like it is a big deal because yeah. it is a big deal to people like us yeah. But yeah. I think the general... In the grand scheme of things, yeah. most people don't care about the shrink wrap. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Um, so... what? I, have, I mean, I haven't really been playing anything too new, so I don't really have much to report. There. I did a few outbreaks in Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. Okay. I haven't proceeded with the story. Oh, that's right. So you had finished Kitakami. Yeah, I finished Kitakami. The story of Kitakami. Yes, yeah. And I still have stuff to do there. Um... I did a Hisuian Voltorb outbreak, got mm-hmm. two of them. Nice. Done with that. Um, oh, yeah, because they have an event. Yeah. Or they did have an event going on. Or I don't know is. if it's over or yeah. not. I think it was over on the 27th. Okay. And then, um, yeah, they had Fungus, Voltorb, and Hisuian Voltorb. Right. Who doesn't appear in Paldea at all? Naturally. Well, right. okay, I, I have a problem. I kind of have a problem with Hisuian Voltorb appearing... And Paldea. Yeah. Uh, you know what? That occurred to me, too. That 100% occurred to me during the outbreak. Like, I get that it's an event. Yeah. But, like, if I'm examining it from, like, a sort of canon... Canonicity and lore perspective. It makes zero sense. Zero sense, and it screws some things up. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, so what, Hasui and Voltorb just rolled through time? Yeah. And, and no one's gathered around, you like, know? What like, the heck is this? <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, we do know uh, there's the trainer in Kitakami, the photographer, whose mm-hmm. name is escaping me right now. Yeah, yeah, same. She, she has the... She has a Sui and Growlithe, right. but there's maybe some canon reasons for that. Right. She's clearly a relative of a character from Legends Arceus, or right. some kind of descendant. They must, in Paldea, or at least in Kitakami, must know of the Hisuian Pokemon. Because if she has that... You know, it would be a marvel of science if, right. if they didn't know about yeah. those. But I mean, yeah, I guess at this point we're just supposed to accept that, like, it's been that Nintendo's put it out there. Basically, is how I feel. Well, like that within the world of Pokemon, people. I mean, it's not like Hisui was some like discovery. People who know about Sinnoh's history know that it was once called right. Hisui. Right. It was just never mentioned before Legends yeah. Arceus. Uh, coincidentally. 
or, mean, how or in that? Diamond and Pearl. Right. It's like, you, well, you can never make a prequel if you can't allow for, like, any of that kind of right. things to happen. But, I mean, like, if they were really masterminds, <laughs> they would have, like, dropped hints in, like, Diamond and Pearl I back see. in the day. Uh, sure. Yeah, no, definitely. It would have been interesting. Yeah, like, there was some book on some bookshelf in someone's right. house that was like, Sinnoh was once known as Hasui. Right. And then that's it. Right. And then, like... Or the school that those kids came from in Kitakami that's supposed to be in Sinnoh or whatever, or mm-hmm. Unova. Have that actual, like, name, give them the name of an actual school in Unova from Black and White. Like, don't make up something new. Put it in, you know, tie it to... Yeah, like, I mean, I guess the reasons for making up a, a brand new place in Unova... No one knows what we're, the heck we're talking is about. Is that it's right really not... Unova's the gen, is the Generation 5 region. Yeah. So from Black and White and Black and White 2. Yeah, Pokemon. Little backstory. <laughs> we're talking about Pokemon. Um, so yeah, like, these kids are from Unova in one of the, the first DLC of Scarlet and Violet. And they're from Unova, but they're from this school in Unova that was never seen mm-hmm. in black and white. Well, the reasoning is that this school is in some, like, futuristic, like, facility off the coast. Oh, Unova. yeah, that's... Yeah, okay. Yeah. I haven't played the second DLC, but you're right. I know that much. Yeah, so it's like this crazy, high-tech, state-of-the-art, like, right. newish facility okay. with, like, fake biomes and things mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, that makes sense. So, I mean, at least they weren't like, oh, yeah, it's here in this town. Yeah, right. (laughs) When it never was before. Yeah, Yeah, that would have been worse. Yeah. That's kind of what I thought they were going to do. Okay, no, no. So, it's, it's, yeah, it's not like that. Okay. Yeah. And there there are some references to um, things in Generation 5 Mm -hmm. in the second DLC. Like, some of the characters are maybe, like, children of some of the gym leaders and mm, things like that gotcha okay so like but i mean you don't explicitly really see anybody from generation five but there are references got it yeah i mean arceus had someone from generation five yeah right, right. yeah which was an interesting like whoa right seen this guy in a while right um, yeah they had uh, more than that though they had ties to like characters oh yeah i mean that game yeah oh yeah great blew my mind like over and over again we might have something to cover on that later yes yes we will have more to talk about in the next episode we're going to talk all about the pokemon presents that happened this week so let's end the pokemon chat for now well we're gonna pick it up with another pokemon (laughs) chat okay yeah we have a really big one what have we been up to well we went to the uh pokemon go Sinnoh tour Mm mm-hmm the in-person event in Pasadena or Los Angeles. Yes. Um, and Rick, I would say, between the two of us, plays a lot more Pokemon Go than I do. Yeah. So probably maybe. Yeah. <laughs> you want to uh, kind of take the lead on talking about what the event entailed? Yeah, sure. So um, it was in Pasadena, Pokemon Go Sinnoh Tour, but they called it Pokemon Go Sinnoh Tour LA. Hey, LA County, I guess. Yeah. True. <laughs> Um, anyways, uh, things started Friday night mm-hmm. when, you know, that's when, like, all the legendaries from Gen 4 started showing up in raids, yeah. and, um, you didn't really start to see it, well, yeah, you didn't at all start to see any of the bonuses, but I think, didn't some of the research pop up already at that point? Yeah, the research for finding the Spiritombs That's right, yeah. appeared early. Yeah, right, and also if you used the code... To get the Rotom, the Rotom uh, yeah. research, that was all timed research. Yeah, 
And then Saturday is when the actual, like, perks of the Pokemon Go Tour started. Yeah, that was the first day you could go into the venue. Mm -hmm. And so we got to the Rose Bowl. Mm -hmm. Uh, We stood in line. Uh, move pretty quickly. They yeah. let us in a little early. Yeah, which is nice. Then they apologized for some delay on their Twitter at the end of the day. I think what had happened was that people who didn't show up early to get inside the venue mm-hmm. were stuck outside of the venue after the event had started. Okay. And so it kind of cost people some of their time. Right. So kind of a benefit of getting there early is you don't really deal with that. Yeah. Um, so we got in. Uh, things started up, uh, the Rose Bowl was divided into a bunch of different biomes. Yeah. And they had, you know, the bubbling mire and yeah. the, the other ones. <laughs> you remember one oh, of them? Yeah, we have the event map. Maybe I could pull that up while you're talking. Sure. Um, and so you would go to each one, Pokestops, and these Pokestops, uh, within the Rose Bowl were not... They were like fictitious Pokestops that were temporary. Yeah. And they weren't based Just for the on, event. Right. Normal Pokestops in the Pokemon Go world map are usually based on like some kind of monument or some significant right. feature or painting or something I, I like have that. the map. Do you want me to quickly mention yeah, sure. the biomes? Go ahead. Okay, so the, the venue wasn't quite just the Rose Bowl Stadium. But it also included a large chunk of the golf course right. that was uh, just north of the Rose Bowl. So the area around the stadium was Seaside Metropolis. Mm-hmm. And then it went to, as you go north, you get into the Mountain Hot Spring. And then the Entangled Ruins. And finally, the Bubbling Mire. You're right. Yeah, so there were four. Four distinct biomes, yeah. And, uh, and you could walk between these biomes right. as you pleased. Yes. Whereas yeah. in like the global event that happened this last weekend that everyone could You had to do it in a certain order. Certain hours were certain yeah. biomes. Yeah. I kind of like this better. Oh yeah, it's fun to be able to just yeah. like switch between them. So it's it. basically you have access to these four biomes. You can walk around all day for however many hours uh, it was. Seven or eight hours yeah. over there. And uh, as you please. And so these fictitious Pokestops that they set up, and there were probably a hundred Pokestops or so, maybe maybe less, maybe maybe half that. Yeah, half that, yeah. fifty or so, um, and and gyms, um, gyms, yeah, were all just kind of like digitally set up within mm-hmm. the map, and uh, spinning each one would get you like uh, special field research tasks that were specific to that biome, um, yes, as well as the pools of Pokemon that would spawn. While you're in that biome. Mm-hmm. So Bubbling Mire had a bunch of poison and rock and yeah. all those kind of types. And you you can predict what, you know, types of Pokemon. The kinds of things you'd see there. It was, uh, for the most part, all Gen 4 and Gen 2 and Gen 1 Pokemon that have Gen 4 evolutions. Um, yeah, there, there was a handful of, like, mixture. Yeah, there was. mostly only Gen 1 through 4. And then occasionally throughout each hour... Mm-hmm. Uh, what what do you call those things from Arceus where the alpha Pokemon are all spawning? Uh, it's not an outbreak. No. Oh, I, f- I forgot all about yeah. that mechanic. So the sky gets dark in yeah, the game and there's right. like all these cool Oh, effects. yeah. It's a... Uh, oh, crud. What are those called? Yeah. They're like um, rifts or something yeah, like some that. Yeah, some kind of rifts in space-time or yeah. whatever. So they kind of emulated that or sort of tried to 
make that feeling inside Pokemon Go, and mm-hmm. a bunch of Hisui Pokemon would start spawning. Right. And then Origin Form, Palkia, and Dialga would appear in raids during right. those times. And you would have a, a lot of extra, extra large Pokemon yes. spawning. Yes, yes, like Alpha Pokemon right. from Hisui. Um, which kind of confirms my suspicion was is that that's how they were going to represent that. I didn't think they were going to make a new mechanic in Pokemon Go for Alpha Pokemon. Yeah, I didn't think they would do it for this event. I wondered if maybe down the line yeah. that might be something they approach. But yeah, th- this probably is an easy way out of like having yeah. to develop something new. I mean, it was a nice touch. Yeah, it was better oh, than not representing that at all. Right, you know? 100%. Because you kind of have to right. if you're tying the event into Hisui as well. Right. Um, so again, Hisui, if we haven't clarified it, is... Like, old Sinnoh. So right. before Sinnoh became Sinnoh, it was known as Hisui. Before it was developed, when it was just wild land. Sinnoh is the region for Pokemon Generation 4, which was Diamond and Pearl. Right. And then way down the road, they released Pokemon Legends Arceus, which took place in Hisui, which is ancient Sinnoh, basically. Yeah, yeah before, before people had colonized and developed it. Right. Yeah. Um... So, yeah, so both uh, versions of that same region were represented at this event. Exactly, yeah, it was a nice touch. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Aside from that, um, Pikachu had four different hats, you know. And they were all new, by the way. Yeah. All of them were new. Totally. Um, (laughs) I got my male and female of each, so I'm good. Yeah, so, yeah, they were wearing the hats of Akari and Rei, the two protagonists of uh, Legends Arceus. Yeah. And then Lucas and Don from Diamond and Pearl. Right. And all four of the, or both the male characters and both the female characters just happen to look identical yeah, to each right, other. Yeah, right, of course. Um, and so, uh, I was going to say something else about it. The uh, the raids themselves. So this was also, the like Taylor said, the debut of Origins Palkia and Origins Dialga. Yep. And um, we, we found that the... Raid, shiny rate was. I don't know what. I don't know what they were thinking. Yeah. I mean, this was not an accident. They nerfed it really hard. Between the four of us, we did at least a hundred raids. I would say so. Yeah. And we got one shiny out between the four of us. On Saturday, I don't think we even got a shiny. Yeah. Well, I got my shiny Dialga. At the Rose Bowl. So oh, had, you did. Yeah. You did. Okay. All right. Um, um, so, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Crazy. The whole... And it was, like, at the end of the day, too. Yeah, it was, it? like, within the last 15 minutes, almost. So, yeah, between... Yeah, we should mention, there was a group of four of us. Uh, me, myself, uh, Sam. Sam and Ben, you guys know. Yeah. Sam's been on the show, friend of the show. Mm-hmm. And then Ben, our chair contributor, our weekly chair contributor. Yep. Um, so, the four of us were there, and... Uh, yeah, we were very disappointed in the raids. Was, to the point where we were like, why are we doing them? I was scratching my head. Like, why would they do this? Yeah. I guess they just assumed, you know, everyone's going to be doing raids all day. So. I mean, I would have thought we all would have gotten at least one. Right. That should be the case. Like, we all did 25 to 30 raids that day. Right. Each. Um, it didn't make a lot of sense. And it was really disappointing. <laughs> I felt that. I felt that I don't really have evidence for this, but I felt like the normal shiny rates were also pretty low. Yeah, they weren't like community day odds no, or anything. They weren't. I mean, 
I think I ended up, by the end of Saturday night, I think I had about 20 shinies yeah. throughout the day. Yeah. Which wasn't, I mean, it could have been bigger. And I'm sure, it, like, some people probably only focused on shiny checking mm-hmm. and, like, didn't do raids. Maybe they would have got way more shinies. Right. Um, but when you do a mixture of both, you kind of limit yourself. Like, you can't shiny check yeah. when you're... When you're raiding. Yeah. So, and a raid can take... You know, with the catching portion afterwards, it can take forever sometimes. Right. Like you, and you, you feel yourself just like wasting time throwing pokeballs. And there, it's a, it's a whole management experience because you also have your special research going on that you're trying yeah. to finish. You have your timed research that you need to finish, or you're going to lose it. Right. And, uh, and the, the collection challenges. The, yeah. <laughs> which is part of timed research, but yeah. they're they're different. They're special. Like you have to collect ex, you know, a, a list of Pokemon. Pokemon. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, so it's a lot to manage. Your eggs are hatching on you. Yeah. You know. I did get some pretty cool shinies from the eggs. Yeah. I got shiny Pachirisu and shiny Carnivine. That was what I was going to mention that I forgot. So yeah. egg hatches included all the Gen 4 Regional. region exclusives. Yeah. Being Chitat, Carnivine, Pachirisu. Mime think, Jr. Oh, yeah, Mime Jr., that's yeah. right. Yep. Um, so that was cool. Yeah, to, that was. To get those. Um, I did get a shiny Patrisu also, uh, that was it for those four. This last weekend when I went to, uh, a big park where there was like an official sort of gathering for mm-hmm. the Global Fest, I found someone who traded me their unknown S for my Patrisu. Oh, nice. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I was you, like, sure, you, man, I'll take it. You got yourself one. <laughs> yeah. I, oh, I know. Oh, you know what's, one of something that's tragic, um, during the event, we were driving home, and uh, I was in the back of the car, and my incense was still going. Mm-hmm. And a shiny unknown popped up. Yeah. But because we were going 60 miles an hour. Oh, really? It fled. Oh, jeez. That sucks. <laughs> yeah. That... Did you use, like, a golden rat? Oh, yeah. And, yeah. Oh, yeah. It just despawned, and that's how they handle the despawns, is they yeah, just have it, just it flee. Goes, yeah. It was an O, which I already had. Oh, okay. So it wasn't, like, the worst right. feeling, but it could have been trade bait. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's how it goes sometimes. So that's how the Pokemon Go Sinnoh Tour went. Um, I mean, I... Okay, but what what were your... Obviously, a little disappointed at the shiny raids. Yes. You know, especially with the raids, yeah. which were pretty abysmal. I I think I know what your question is going to be. I I felt a little Pokemon goat out about three quarters of the way through. Mm-hmm. Like I was, I remember, I was good. I remember you asking, like, "Are we staying all day?" Yeah. Well, I I had thought it was going to be over at like I don't know seven eight o'clock at night. I feel like there was a second wind at some point for you, though. Yeah, I guess there was. Yeah. Well, maybe when you got your shiny. Dialga. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was really late on though. Oh, okay. I think that was definitely within the last hour. Yeah, I remember like maybe about like the five hour, or the four hour mark. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like we're doing this all day. Well, the sun's out. Yeah, it got really hot yeah. and it like was beaming on. Oh, yeah. we forgot to mention one really cool thing. Yeah, what? Niantic brought developers. Oh yeah, from the game. Yeah, yeah. To which... do like a meet and greet signing, and they had two sessions. This and... was like unannounced. Yeah, this was, they yeah. didn't say anything about this. Yeah. Um. So they, all they had were these like event postcards, which I'm, 
I'm not going to cry about it. Yeah. It's better than nothing. Better right. than like, oh, want me to sign your phone? Right. You know? Right. <laughs> want me to sign your shirt? Yeah. Um, so they had these event postcards and they signed the event postcards and we were smart and had all the people sign, sign the, the same, same postcard. Yeah. Um, so that was pretty cool. That was like totally unexpected. Yeah. There was some little swag giveaways too going uh, on. Real quick. These were actual real developers. These were like animators. Yeah. Not marketing guys. Three modelers. Yeah. yeah. These aren't like the director even or any of that. Yeah. Oh, that would have been cool. These are yeah. people who actually make the assets. Yeah. Two of them were the senior people who have apparently been with the game since like forever. Mm-hmm. Those were the people in the earlier part of the day. And then the later people, I have their names, but... One of them, the girl said she was pretty new. Yeah, she said, she said oh, I've only been here two years. I'm like, well, that's not that yeah, new. Yeah, no, right. <laughs> but, but yeah, she's the one who I think mentioned that the other two people were like the senior kind of leads mm-hmm. on like the animation and art side of things. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of the stuff they work on is like clothing and mm-hmm. outfits and... Yeah, um, a lot of in-game swag. Although a lot of them did work on, like, um... The one guy did, like, the Master Ball animations. The Master Ball animations, the mythical Pokemon animations after, yeah. like, you know... Oh, yeah. The long research quests. Yeah. Uh, the, the guy that... One of them was the one that models the items and stuff in the game. So, I mean, pretty key, mm-hmm. you know, contributors. I don't assets. think the Pokemon Go team is, like, a really big team right. either. Right, right. I mean... They make enough money yeah. that it could be a ginormous team, yeah. but I think they operate with a relatively small head. Count. I would say that their back end team is probably bigger than their front end team. I think you're right. Yeah, I think you're definitely right. Yeah. I think if anyone's got work to do, right. it's the back end team. Um, so another thing I want to mention too about the event, on that note, is that there was a lot of streamers and I couldn't name anyone, mm. but a lot of Pokemon Go YouTubers oh, yeah. and you know big, bigger channels. Uh, they were there as guests, yeah. and those people were announced, right? Yeah, there were some, like, Pokemon Go personalities. Right. Um, that Influencers. Influ- yeah, Pokemon Go influencers. That's basically what they are. It was probably what they said on the promotion. I think you're right, yeah. And they had, like, a, a tent station set mm-hmm. up just for them. There were, uh, there were a few things going on throughout, like, the golf course and yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, at one point, I saw a stage with a bunch of people on it. You know, and I don't know. Um, one of them was wearing a bunch of ridiculous outfit. Like, okay. Oh, yeah, <laughs> like there was a, a stage Pikachu where hat. I think they were doing, like, photo ops, like, with the characters. Mm-hmm. So it, it, that may, maybe they used that for something else when the characters weren't there. Because I knew the characters were only there for, like, one hour here, and then, like, they got an hour break, and then they did yeah. another hour. That kind of thing. Um, but what, I want to mention about the influencers. Yeah. Something funny we saw. When we walked by the influencer tent at one point, there was like five stations to meet influencer, and there's like a lot, like a queue for each of these different stations. Mm-hmm. And like three of the stations or four of the stations were like dudes. Yep. And there was like no line for them whatsoever. Yep. But then one of the stations was a girl or a woman, a, a female say. influencer. <laughs> and the line was like massive. massive. Yeah. I mean,. <laughs> It's what you expect. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. What it says, you can draw your own conclusions. I mean, if you've been around this community, going to events, you know, conventions, etc., you know. You know why that was the case. Yeah. 
Um, but just, oh, just, go ahead. Just a funny yeah thing to see. <laughs> we don't care so much about the influencers, but others might, and people who play games might. So yeah, I, wanna... I mean, you know, I I know uh, one of our friends, Ben. Mm-hmm. Uh, this YouTuber slash influencer wasn't featured at the event, but mm-hmm. they were there. Right. And Ben ran into him, and he, you know, briefly said hi to him. You know, that's cool. Yeah. You know, like if we saw Carl Yopst out and about somewhere. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't we stop and say of hi? Of course, he's in New Zealand, yeah. so. Well, you know, he might but, visit LA. Yeah, that'd be go cool. to Nintendo Land. Um, he's a he's a, a speedrunner. Actually, that's his main thing. Yeah. See, all this investigative stuff yeah. he does is like his side. I think that's where he makes money. Right, yeah, yeah. it, it is. Um, but he's he started his career at least as a speedrunner. Yeah. Um, anyways, uh, other things that were there, they had an information booth, snack shack type setup. Yeah. And then they had Pokemon power banks where yes. you could charge your phone and they were dressed up to look like a whole Pokestop. Yeah, like a real like a real life. world Pokestop. Yeah. yeah. And then there were uh, inflatable... It was the three Gen 4 starters and mm-hmm. then the three starters from Legends Arceus. Yeah. Um, One thing I want to quickly compare this... You weren't at last year's Hoenn Tour in Vegas. Right. But Ben, Sam, and myself were... And while I can understand your disappointment with the shiny rates, mm-hmm. I have to say, compared to last year's event, this event was absolutely <laughs> incredible. Oh, really? It was so smooth. Everything worked. Oh, um, just in general, you're saying? Yeah, like, there were no problems. There were no connection, errors. None of that stuff was going on. Yeah, I noticed I had 5G the entire time, and it's because yeah. they had, like, six or seven cell to- mobile cell towers set up throughout. Yeah, they, they learned their lesson from last year by first making it behind, you know, like, you couldn't just walk in if you were right. in the public. Yeah, looky-loos. Because Hoenn Tour was at a public park, and yeah. I don't know... What they they thought people were just going to respect? Yeah. That, you know, oh, you don't like, have a ticket. I can't go over there. Well, you had it at a public park, so anyone's allowed to come. Right. I remember they put out a tweet last year during the event. They're like twenty thousand unticketed players showed up to try to like participate. Yeah. They could raid, but they couldn't do like they didn't see the spawns. Right. They didn't see any of that kind of stuff. But they were still doing the raids. Mm-hmm. Um, and this year. They made it so if you didn't have a ticket, the raids couldn't be wouldn't be sh- shiny eligible for you. Okay. To like really even more discourage people from trying to get in somehow right. or do something, spoof their way in or something. Yeah. Um, Although I guess you could have bought a ticket and then just spoofed your way in. Were the shiny rates about the same? Would you say or lesser? Well, because it was such a mess last yeah, year. Oh yeah, right. You can't uh, even couldn't even tell what the shiny. I mean, rates we were. got some shinies, and we got like shiny Kyogre, shiny Groudons. Mm-hmm. I think Ben got a shiny Deoxys. I did like fifteen Deoxys raids mm-hmm. at uh, Hoenn Tour last year and didn't get one shiny. It still sounds like the raid shiny rates were higher. It felt, yeah, I would say, and considering how bad performance was, the performance was good. Could have done so much more, yeah, too. Right. Um, yeah, so I mean, I will say kudos to Niantic for making a very smooth event. I mean, I don't know, bump those shiny rates yeah, up a little bit. Yeah, seriously, like, guys. Kind of factor. Um, um, but yeah. I mean, when you look at it, if you only paid for the base event, you paid twenty bucks. Yeah, and like I don't think you got a bad no deal for twenty bucks. Not at all. There were a lot of add-ons when you bought your ticket, of course. Um, and we did buy shirts and stuff, of course. Yeah, 
Uh, so that line actually went pretty smooth. That yeah. was handled nicely. That, well, because we got in early, we yeah. were able to take care of our shirts early. True. And we were like the fifth people in line or something like that. Right. I'm sure if you showed up at two yeah. to get your shirt, it would have been... But you, you could pre-reserve shirts this year, which was nice. So you, yeah. if, as long as you did that, you were guaranteed to get your shirt no matter what. Right. Um, whereas last year, Ben... Sam and I had to get to the park at like 6 a.m. Mm-hmm. to get in line for the shirts, which didn't start getting distributed until like 8 something. Yeah. You know, and it was like, because it's Vegas, it's a desert in February, <laughs> it was like 40 degrees out. That's, yeah, well. Um, um, that was an adventure. For Saturday, no, not for, no, no it wasn't Friday. It was uh, just, if you had a Saturday ticket, you could buy for Sunday the city experience or whatever it's yeah. called basically let you just play the game yeah it was basically the event but outside of the rose yeah. bowl anywhere in la or orange county mm-hmm. you had the experience of playing just without the biomes i guess is the only thing you didn't really have right oh um, well i think didn't they, they I, i'm pretty sure they swapped biomes throughout the hour uh, Either they swapped biomes throughout the hour, or it was just everything was appearing. Yeah, okay, you might... Yeah, Because I, I, I know this biome swapping was this last weekend yes, for Global. Yeah, I want to talk about that, too. Um, so, last weekend, the, a week after, mm-hmm. um, they brought back, quote-unquote, um, a lot of the Sinnoh experience. Um, yeah, they call it Global Sinnoh Tour. Global Sinnoh Tour. So they did this for Hoenn Tour last year as mm-hmm. well. Um, because before Hoenn Tour, there was no in-person event. Right. It was only a global event. Right, right. So the story for the main um, special research for Sino Tour involved teaming up with Team Rocket, which I believe was also a part of last year's. Yeah. And um, Professor Willow and Giovanni both get sucked into some space-time wormhole or whatever. And then you have to team up with Team Rocket to try to get them back. Right. And that story kind of ends with them still gone. Yeah. And then... You're talking about the event in Pasadena, right? Correct. Yes. Yeah. And uh, so this past weekend, they kind of continued and finished that story. The the back half of the story. Exactly. Um, Now, this past weekend, it was more like last year, where every hour it would rotate biome. Right. And um, the exclusive field research tasks came back yep uh raids came back yep and uh you had like i said a whole second half of the research yeah special research i I finally managed to get a shiny during one of the raids this past weekend oh yeah go ahead and talk about um i got a shiny uh uh dialga uh origin dialga or shiny origin dialga right which you know, it's cool. Yeah. It's trade bait for me. So it, for those that don't know... <laughs> We're going to get on a whole other topic here. Okay. Um, uh, maybe we'll just save that. Okay, sure. Um, uh. One thing we forgot to mention about the event, maybe the best thing about the event, in my opinion, mm-hmm. is that the late Guardian trio from yeah. Sinnoh yeah. were all appearing in the wild at the Pasadena event and then also globally at the event. And the shiny rate was significantly boosted for them. It seemed that way. Yeah, most people got at least one, if not two, or even some people, all three of them. Right. Um, which, yeah. I ended up with three shiny Ushi, Uxie, mm-hmm. however people would like to pronounce it. 
and one shiny Azelf. Yep. Um, between the two weekends, I never got that Mesprit, unfortunately. Yeah. And I'm going to say that last weekend, I don't know what was going on with the shiny rates. There were none. I walked around oh, for the, three or four hours. The global tour shiny rates are barely like, increased. Barely if increased. at all. Yeah. Like I did get a handful. Mm-hmm. I got maybe, between the Saturday and Sunday, I got maybe six oh, or seven shinies. My bad. I did find a shiny chimchar. Okay. Woohoo. Yeah, I know. I got two shiny chimchars. <laughs> and I don't even have the hat, you know? Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, the global one is free. Mm-hmm. So they're not giving you that boost yeah. that you're getting at the paid event. Right, of course. Yeah. Um, but anyways, we'll move on from, from yeah. here. So, okay, real quick, before we, before we totally move on, next year will be Gen 5, Unova, Unova Tour. Mm-hmm. Now, the past two tours have been in the U.S., so maybe this will just sort of be like the U.S.'s signature yearly event. Mm-hmm. But Unova, we know, is themed around New York, New York State, yeah. and New York City more specifically. Um, I don't know. I yeah. wonder, do they... I don't think they can do it in New York City. I don't think there's a private space of that <laughs> size that they can, like, secure. But it would If they did it inside a convention center, I could maybe see that or something. I mean, that goes... That's very... Ant- like, this against Pokemon Go's, like, yeah. they want you in the outdoors, yeah. breathing that air. Right. Yeah. Yeah, um, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they go... I mean, they could go outside the city, you know? Yeah. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, I'd be... I'd be tempted. Uh, I don't know if I want to spend that kind of money. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I do have fun at these. Um, even the Hoenn one, it, it was a disaster, but I still... I don't know weirdly enjoyed it um but i don't know yeah if it's in new york if it's in california or west coast again in a heartbeat i'll probably go but i don't know if i'll travel across the world or the country to go right shiny rates aren't that good no no they're really i mean based on the shiny rates i just saw this one i you know for people that have our stories of like just kind of decent shiny rates yeah there are people who are like, oh, I caught 80. Yeah. You oh, know? yeah, 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 of course. So, I, I don't know. It's rough. Um, Anything else you want to add about Go Tour, or should we move on to your weekly update? Nope. Uh, I will go ahead and jump into the next topic, which is my Seraphim update. I'm. It's a little different this week for me. Okay. Well, I want to talk about, actually, instead of, like, actual development... In a solo developer project, I want to talk about everything else outside of development that happens when you are a solo developer. Okay. And um, this kind of occurred to me, this is actually something I wrote when we were supposed to record this episode, so it's based on that prior week. Okay. Um, yeah, but, some of this episode is like that. Right, yeah. <laughs> so just, it might be a little <laughs> weird when we're talking about old news. So I, and this is a sort of a perspective thing that I just want people to have. I know that people, when they hear developer stories, they want to hear about the positive. They want to hear about the progress. They want to hear about overcoming mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I want people to know the truth and understand <laughs> like that it's not always like that. Yeah. And honestly, it's kind of seldom like that. Once in a while, it feels that way. Like you're overcoming something. 
giant, but it's, uh, this is the week prior to, um, last week okay. when we would have recorded. Gotcha. Um, just to kind of give you an idea of what my life is like, on Monday, we, I had recording with you. Right. Right. Um, that was the last episode. That would have been February 12th. On Tuesday, I had to go help my girlfriend catch up with her business, her actual, like, um, tax business that she works on, because it's, get you know, it gets overwhelming for her, and I need to be there for her, because I'm, that's my duty as a boyfriend. Right. Um, Wednesday was Valentine's Day. Yes. Uh, Thursday, uh, I had no choice but catch up on errands, dry cleaning, um, grocery shopping, etc., those kinds of things, going to the bank. You know, you you don't have any other day to do that stuff, and that stuff has to get done. So Thursday was all that. Right. Friday, um, packing and leaving for go tour. Yeah. And keep in mind, you're working a your own full time job. Yes. I'm gonna get there. <laughs> don't forget. Saturday was a Pokemon Go tour. Mm-hmm. Sunday was coming home from Pokemon Go tour. I also work a graveyard shift. Uh, for those that don't know. Like, I work every single night, except for Mondays and Tuesday nights. Uh, so, I start my shift at 10.30 p.m. I get off around 6.30, depending on what's going on at the time. Yeah. Uh, so, you know I have to sleep until, like, at least 12 or 1 o'clock. Yeah. Um, that, if I want six hours, you know. Yeah. So. And that's being generous. That's being generous. So that's what a, I don't want to call this a typical week because this is a busy week, but other weeks are not far off from how this looks. And Valentine's Day, yeah, that's kind of different, but... Three holidays in one week. Yeah, but you have holidays like Valentine's Day all the time, you know, and you're doing stuff. Everything I just told you guys doesn't account for sleeping, cleaning, eating... Doing the laundry, spending time with my significant other, having phone calls, decompressing, heaven forbid, playing anything. Right. This is what life looks like. And imagine, and so, so you have, you know, and I'm not like pointing the finger or saying anything bad about anyone, but you will have your friends and family and everybody else in your life. Constantly asking you about the game. They're, and in some cases, as as the years go by, if you have a really big, like, console experience project, people asking, you know, what's taking so long? Yeah. It shouldn't take this long, Rick. What's wrong with you, Rick? Um, what's going on? You need to manage better. You know, and while that's a true statement, you know, and this... Uh, I am taking accountability. I know I'm listing off a bunch of external factors and causes and stuff like that. I want you to understand that you have to take accountability for your own schedule and your own time and your own budget and everything else. Like, no, this is no one else's problem but yours. So if you're going to be successful and you're determined to be successful, you have to figure it out. You you can't just blame someone else. Mm -hmm. But you are going to have pressure from others. Asking for updates. Asking, you know, where is the game? Why is it taking so long? This is ridiculous. People even getting kind of frustrated with you. Um, 
especially online when you're facing a bunch of faceless people who don't, they don't know. See yeah, you. they don't see you. They don't know you. Um, this is what it looks like being a solo developer working on a what I call a console experience that just right. talks about scope, basically. Yeah. Um, not like some five minute itch.io experience, right? Which is also cool, and I'm not knocking yeah. that. Um, but yeah, this is so. If you are thinking about being a solo developer, this is the bite that you're biting off. Like this is what you're taking on. This is what it's going to look like, actually, in real life, not in the YouTube documentaries, not you know what you see from others on Twitter. Yeah, they're only going to tweet about the the the. The victories, you know, the small-time victories and stuff. I think aside from just having watched you work on this game over the last several years... It's going to be 10 years on May 10th. Yeah. Um, and knowing the struggles that you faced, you know, I you don't... You haven't really heard from a lot of other developers really talking about it in that kind or... You know, like I've seen it in, like, a real sense. Right. I think the only other story I've really heard... From like a solo de- developer, mm-hmm. like the the Stardew Valley yeah. developer, yes. Eric Barone, I want to say his name is Barone. You're right. Um, He's been very public with like how the struggles were, yeah, developing that game on his own, and just like the 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 lying and the like to yeah. himself and to others. I and... I lie to people all the time about where I'm at. Yeah. You know, and I'm I'm trying to be as truthful as I can with this podcast. But, you know, I will and it's it's an emotional thing. It's because you yeah. it's a defensive thing. You know, it's because you don't want to disappoint and you you know, you don't want others to be upset with you. Right. Uh that you lie about having just spent four hours on the game when you spent four hours on YouTube or something like that. Right. You know, because you need to decompress from everything else going on right. in your life. Um, this and, is not for the faint of heart. No, it's not. No. It, and honestly, success almost takes like a U.S. Marine level of discipline yeah. and management. You know, like getting up at 6 a.m., going to the gym, you know, like that yeah. kind of like discipline. It's insane. It's insane to have all of that and, you know, you have to write stuff down. You have to, like, block out time. Know that from 6 to 7, every day you're doing this. From 7 to 8, you're doing this. You know, um, otherwise it falls apart. This cannot be a a willy-nilly, like, I'll do it, you know, I'll find time. No, you won't. And, uh... Uh, you mentioned him. I, I'll also throw out Derek Yu. Mm. Mentions uh, not as much um, as him, but he does talk a little bit in his book about how hard things get. Um, uh, uh, he's the Spelunky creator. Yes, yeah, yeah creator of Spelunky, uh, which is a really good solo project. Yeah. People should play that one. I bought the game after reading the book. Yeah, I haven't spent too much time with it, but it's, you know, it's like a roguelike type of platform roguelike platformer i guess you yeah. call it um but anyways yeah not really an update on progress um but i just kind of wanted to talk about what this is like and i'll probably bring up seraphim a few more times throughout the episode as we talk about other news okay you know well you know sometimes you gotta be real and if you know you were 
crazy busy and there's a million external factors, I mean, Seraphim just isn't going to get... It's what, what do you cut out? Do you cut out sleeping? Do you cut out Valentine's Day? Do you cut out, you know, you can't ignore your significant other. That's cruel. You, and you extremely, can, but at your own peril. Yeah, it's extremely selfish. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know. There's nothing you can cut out. Oh, you could say that, you know, Rick, going to Pokemon Go Tour is a choice. Definitely. And it, and it is. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> that's important. Like, right. it's not like, you, I'm not a, you're not a machine. No one's a machine. Right. You have to be able to have, you know, other social things. Social lives. Yeah, social lives. And, you know, also doing this podcast and stuff is kind of, it's kind of an excuse. But, you know, that benefits from going. And I mean, you, you are not someone who... I would not say you treat yourself a lot. Like, you going to Pokemon Go Tour was, like, a a big deal. Yeah. You know, that's like a, almost like, I mean, even though it wasn't that far from home, we spent the night, two nights. Right. We were in the area. You know, like, that was like a getaway for you. You don't, you know, doing what you have to do to, you know, get through every day. Yeah. And still find time to work on your creative pursuits. You don't afford yourself stuff like that very often. Yeah, I don't really take any kind of vacations or anything like that. Uh, I did go see my mom. Yeah, and until I started this podcast and took two trips. I mean, but, yeah, I mean, like your 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 family who you hadn't seen in right. a while, it, like a decade. Yeah, so I mean, those are things that are under. I know you've taken more trips <laughs> right. than I have. You know what? That's going to change pretty soon. I got a couple trips coming up. Cool. Uh, Gotta keep us posted. We're gonna have to figure out how to do some recording around those yeah, things. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Yeah, always do. But anyways, yeah. So just some insight, guys. It's not. It's not all you know, glory and yeah. you know, like you see, you know, you see in the store after the fact after the game comes out, er, the the whole story that you hear is all the. You know, the positive victory stuff. You hear about some of the challenges, but only to accentuate the victories. You know, this is like... This is like the mud, you know, that you're plotting You're in the trenches. Yeah. And this is how it actually goes in real life, guys. So, thought I'd just, you know, open up about that. You got real, real today. (laughs) All right, uh, shall we move on to yeah. the news? Yeah, let's move on. Okay, um, so we've got a few stories, uh, but first we're going to start off with a story about IGN has announced their plans for a three-day in-person event in Los Angeles in early June. Now, if that sounds familiar, mm. that would be about the same time frame that the Electronic Entertainment Expo, a.k.a. E- E3, sorry. E3. I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> Um, is, uh, has always traditionally been held. Um, so the exact date, price, and location have yet to be announced, but IGN has described the event as an in-person three-day fan event in Los Angeles this summer featuring gaming and entertainment creators, developers, publishers, and enthusiasts. That sounds a lot like what E3 was kind of trying to pivot to in their final years. Right. It started as a trade show, and then it kind of turned into what this is yeah and um like a festival almost yeah and a celebration of yeah you know developers and 
you know, getting the fans mixed in right. to mixed results. I mean, I'll go to this. Yeah, I'm definitely interested. I mean, I feel like it's going to depend on, you know, when they release the list of, like, exhibitors and mm-hmm. supporters. You oh, know? for sure. Like, if it's, like... Yeah. Nobody. Like, nobody responded to this. <laughs> yeah, then I'm going to kind of be like... I mean, I almost feel like this event was sort of like a, hey, world, we're going to try to do it, mm-hmm. you know, as a hope to maybe convince publishers and developers to sign on and get interested. Right. So it'll be interesting to see if they can pull it off. Um, but there are some other comments from IGN I want to get to. Um they said official exhibitors are expected to be announced in the coming weeks. For now, it promises to include world-class talent, parties, networking opportunities, and unique attractions from a curated list of leading exhibitors across gaming and entertainment. It will include live IGN shows, tournaments, first looks at new releases, and panels featuring headliners from games, televisions, movies, and more. A portion of ticket sales will go to charity via Humble Bundle. So they even mentioned the after parties that E3 Yeah, like, had. I mean, they're literally, They're like trying saying, to really mimic hey, it. come on, come this back is, to E3. Yeah, basically. So, yeah, I mean, like, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm interested. Yeah, oh yeah, 100%. Um, I mean, if it is as exquisite as they're yeah, making it right, sound yeah. like it's going to be, like, um, I don't know that you get everyone to just commit to going back to E3 all at once. I gotta I, imagine it's gotta be a smaller scale affair. I think regardless of what comes out for the exhibitor list, etc., I'm, I'm, my days are kind of like, I don't, I work at night. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely You're open gonna, during yeah, the day. <laughs> I'm definitely gonna go to this, regardless. Even if it is just a bunch of, you know, even if it is more like Indicate or something like right. that, I'm still gonna go to this. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm curious with, you know, they've confirmed that this will be a paid event. Yeah. So it's not, like, free. Hopefully the price reflects the experience. experience. Yeah, they're not going to charge, like, $250 right. or right. something. I do wonder if there will be industry and press, like, credentials to get into this for, for maybe a cheaper price. Or it, Does it even say that it's, like, an industry thing? Yeah, I mean, they say there's networking opportunities. Okay. Um, I mean, the after parties are, I mean, that's, the after parties were kind of a networking thing, usually. Mm-hmm. Um, panels. So, I mean, it sounds like some weird hybrid of, like, a Comic-Con slash e3 mm-hmm. uh, i i do throw a little bit of like television movies and more like do we really need i hope not tv and movies yeah. there oh yeah they actually said that Shoot. yeah yeah that so i mean unless they're like the the cast of the halo show or right. the cast of you know twisted metal ign is a gaming website so hopefully well they would probably claim that they're an entertainment okay, website. Yeah. They've always had, like, a movies section yeah. and a TV section. Yeah. Do you remember? But those are subsections, almost. Yeah, I mean, the it started as a gaming yeah. site. Yeah. But I think they... I think some of those sections are maybe more prominent now yeah, than they were true. back in 2003. So, I, I have two thoughts, but go ahead. Okay. Um, do you want me to get to this last video yeah, sure. before we kind of yeah, talk ahead. about... Okay. So, IGN President... Yale Prow issued the following statement. Why do people always have the most difficult names? Yeah, like, yeah. How do you, what do you say there? 
um, issued the following statement alongside the announcement. IGN Live is aligned with IGN's mission and history. For nearly three decades, we have fueled fandoms that drive the most diverse and beloved games and entertainment into the zeitgeist. Fans and partners have voiced their demand for a physical space where the community can come together in person to celebrate the industry's most exciting innovations. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, mean, I want it. Yeah. I want it. Fans and partners. Uh, yeah, so it sounds like they really are trying to have like a public meets industry yeah. type of thing. Which... I mean, I hope they have like an industry, like at least day one, the yeah. industry only. Or that something. was the best thing that later E3 did. Well, you know, it's funny because when they started letting the fans in, they had like industry hours where like the first three hours were industry only. Mm, yeah. And then in 2020, there was going to be a whole day that was industry only. Yeah. Which would have been amazing. Yeah. But, you know, then. Right. Then stuff out. happened. Yeah. Um, All right, so what are your thoughts? So, (laughs) hold on. Okay, Uh, I've got a thought in the meantime. Yeah. Okay. Jeff Keighley. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay, yeah, there you go. He has been trying to make something out of this Summer Games Fest thing he's been working on the last few years. Mm -hmm. And he has to see this news and be like, what? Yeah. Because he has not announced any kind of physical event thing for this year at this time. Right. But I gotta imagine he's working on it. Last year, he had a very small physical event Mm -hmm. where only influencers and press were allowed to go. His favorite. His two favorite things. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it makes sense. These are the people that are going to be talking about the games, making videos, making articles. We, We know. We understand why. Yeah. If he's only doing like a very small scale kind of thing, right. like, okay, you, how, you get, the public doesn't really fit in there. Right. You know, there's not enough space and time yeah. to get everyone. No, I get it. But, I mean, he had been teasing about like scaling this up to mm-hmm. become larger. Um, but now IGN has swooped in early yeah. for this year's announcement. Cut, and now, cut him off at the pass. And now what? what is, what is Jeff going to do? Right. The Summer Games Fest, it's mostly like an uh, announcement kind of programming mm-hmm. sort of block of the i i mean the right move is to join forces you're right but that's not what's gonna happen he has not said a word about yeah. this right like he has anytime e3 has been in the news like as like oh that's not gonna be this year mm-hmm. jeff Keeley within five minutes of that news breaking Puts out a tweet saying, Summer Games Fest, coming back this yeah, year. Yeah, right, yeah. Or like, and it like drops the dates or, yeah. you know, something like that. Something very kind of petty, if yeah. I'm being honest. Oh, uh, yeah. And so to see the IGN do well, we've this. We've seen Sony do stuff like that. It's it, it's endemic, I think, of the industry. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. Like Jeff was almost like celebrating the demise of E3, it felt at times. Yeah. Yeah, like, that comes off wrong. It's... E3's going down, I'm rising right. up, I'm going to be the guy in charge of all this. And the, so, yeah, so the fact that he said nothing is unusual. Yeah. And I think he's living. Yeah. So, and he probably is, because I'm sure he has a whole bunch of people at IGN who are his friends. Right. And, you know. I mean, maybe he was given the heads up. Yeah. And maybe he's examining, okay, do I join for... It's not within his plan. His plans were probably like, I want to be the boss of this. Yeah, but a good 
CEO or manager or whatever you want to call it, leader, knows how to adapt to unexpected circumstances coming right. up. Um, and if he is a good strategist, the answer is to join forces with yeah. IGN. And because it sounds like what he wants to offer and what IGN wants to offer are different enough experiences that they could be two parts of the same thing. Sure. You know, yeah. maybe Jeff handles the industry area or something. Mm-hmm. And then IGN handles like the public right. integration or side of things. The influencer club. Yeah. Jeff Keeley. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, like I said, I have two thoughts. One, IGN is a media company mm-hmm. first and always has been. So this event is being put on by a games media. I don't know if you'd call them a conglomerate. Ooh, okay. This is an interesting, I see kind of what you're saying. This like, is kind of a conflict of interest. If you think about it, they could just not let any press in. Right. Like not give out press. Yeah. They could totally just, you know, have the monopoly on C all the block, news. all the other media, <laughs> But they could also pick and choose who they let in. Who they let in, like only friendly developers. And if you ever cross IGN, you better watch out you're not being let in kind of deal, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that isn't it. I mean, I got to imagine. I can see them gatekeeping because IGN has a history of not being. Okay, I could see them gatekeeping. Not being honest. But they're also trying to build something. Yeah. And I don't know it's in their interest to turn people away I, I when think, they're trying to start I, I think, from zero. Right. When you say that, I think what I'm talking about is like this down the road if it's successful. Sure. Yeah. If it ends up getting really big, right. then they could be really gatekeeping. Yeah. The thing about the ESA who ran E3 mm-hmm. was that they were like a. They were a board of industry heads or something. Uh, I mean, they were a... Um, They're still around, right? The ESA is still yeah. around. They're a lobbying group yeah, yeah. for, you know, video game-related legislation. Mm-hmm. You know, they're there to either promote things or yeah, shoot things so th- down. That's and... the right kind of organization to run something like that, right. I feel like. This is, in my opinion, the wrong kind of organization to run yeah. something like this. This is a media company. Right. Uh where at E3, media was one faction of the crowd. Right. Industry was another. Right. You know, and everybody else, merchants and et cetera, vendors. Yeah. Um, but this is, I could see this going a little sideways. Right. You imagine the event is a total wreck, but they're the only press there. So they're like, yeah. the event was a huge yeah. success. Oh, yeah. yeah. They, they control the narrative. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, yeah, you know, you bring up a really good point. I hope it's not like... <laughs> I hope they don't go the evil route, yeah. but... Well, they have a history of it. Yeah, I mean, they have changed, like, parent... Yeah. Like, companies That's so true. many times, and different people in charge. Um, my other thought was, if the ESA, who still probably owns the E3 name, mm-hmm. wanted to, after this becomes successful could relaunch E3. And I think they'd have support still once they see how this goes. Because I feel like it fizzled out. Their sales were down. They didn't know what they were doing sometimes. Then the pandemic happened. So you're thinking that like E3 might be like, well, yeah, I'm not going to let IGN do this. Or they might see a, the first few years of this as something mm. successful and be like, oh, you know what? You know, what the heck? 
and then you know revive the yeah. E3 name. You know, I, I just had an interesting kind of semi-related thought. I'm surprised the ESA is not doing more with like E3 branding. Exactly. Like, why are they not selling merch? Yeah, and t-shirts. I, I, and, that, that plays into what I'm saying. You know, like how Atari, even though they weren't doing anything for years, and yeah, years, they still have that logo everywhere. Um, yeah, you go to Target and buy an Atari T-shirt, guaranteed. Yeah, the, and the ESA, I assume, still owns the E3 logo. Like, yeah. it could still be a living brand. Yeah. To some still, degree. I mean, there could be an E3 booth. Yeah. At this thing. Do like a little history boot. I mean, like, yeah. yeah, there's still ways to make it relevant. And right. Like, not dead. And not take huge risks. Yeah. 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 So, but I mean, like, if this something like this were successful and the ESA were to see how it works, I think that if they tried to revive E3, they would get some support, like some nostalgia points big time. I know, but I do wonder if partners, if they already established like a new partnership with IGN and they've yeah. been doing this with IGN for five years and then the ESA is like, well, hey guys, forget them, come back to us. Yeah. I don't know that the partners are going to be like, well, let's jump ship and kind of start this all over from scratch again. Yeah, it, it, it would be hard to say. Yeah. But, yeah. I think the ESA had a lot of problems. I think it was very unaffordable for developers to go to e3 mm-hmm. like the cost for the booth space and things like mm, that yeah. could be like really prohibitive yeah depending on where this event takes place you might find somewhere cheaper i mean we, we know imagine that, it's an la live uh i mean it would have to be at some kind of convention center of some kind yeah right and keep in mind la it means apparently Pasadena. anything yeah. so like they could be at the long beach convention center you know right um so there you know it'll be interesting i met i mean it's already march almost by the mm-hmm. time this episode comes out it's probably gonna be it's march. gonna be march tomorrow uh no tomorrow's leap day oh, are you serious it's leap year yep all right stupid that's <laughs> so a, stupid that's you get so a free stupid. day so stupid uh anyways uh <laughs> dang imagine if this was our 29th episode oh yeah we could Oh, no, I think it's so cool. Yeah, yeah. It's not though. Milestone episode. <laughs> Milestone. Um, um. So yeah, IGN's new Electronic Entertainment Expo. Uh, yeah, we'll see. We're gonna be. We have to be hearing about it soon, mm-hmm. unless like they're just not getting support, and then we'll get that like. Yeah. Sorry, it's. Wah it's wah. Not, wah, yeah. wah wah wah. Um. Yeah, I don't know. We've got more news though. Yeah. We're going to keep rolling. So, in episode 21, we talked about Xbox possibly going third party, not having a console anymore, doing away with physical games. Well, hold on. We thought this because of an announcement. Right. That was pending. Right. This big business update because of all these rumors that were coming out. Which was that Xbox was going to start putting first-party games on other consoles from other console holders. So Nintendo and Sony. Right. Um, so they had said, we're not going to talk about that yet, but next week, which was last week for us, mm-hmm. we're going to have our Xbox business update, and we're going to tell you what our business plan is going forward. Yeah. So some of what we're going to share in this story is from the business update itself, And other parts are from an interview that Phil Spencer did with The Verge that was released shortly after the business update uh, video went out. Right. Um, So the first piece uh, that they talked about was um, 
without naming games specifically, Phil Spencer announced that four games, four Xbox titles, would be jumping over to competing platforms, mm-hmm. Nintendo and Sony. These four games, he said, are not going to be Bethesda Starfield or the upcoming Indiana Jones game from uh, Wolfenstein developer Machine Games. So... Because people know, were thinking they were going to put these huge games you know, on there. You know this is a marketing strategy when they tell you what it's not going to be. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to set expectations, I think, right. to a more reasonable level. Right, right. Um, he, he did say he wouldn't rule those games ever coming out on like PlayStation or Nintendo platforms. Mm-hmm. But he said that they're playing more of a wait-and-see approach with the first four titles to see how they do. Um, so we know he didn't announce these four titles at the business update, but at last week's, uh, Nintendo direct, um, it was announced that, uh, the partner, uh, sorry, Nintendo direct partner showcase that Microsoft was bringing grounded, which is a like team based survival game. Like honey, I shrunk the kids, like Mm -hmm. your microscopic children and you're running around backyards and ant colonies and things like that. Um, that was coming to switch. And that Pentiment, uh, this very unique, uh, like, medieval-style scroll-looking game... It was mentioned in the last episode. Yeah, uh, by Obsidian Entertainment, was also coming to Switch. And then later that day, uh, they also announced that Pentiment, Sea of Thieves, Rares game, Mm -hmm. the people who made Donkey Kong Country... Mm -hmm. um, Um... so, what was their game? Which one? Sea of, sea, Thieves. Sea of Thieves is theirs? Yeah. I didn't know that was rare. Yeah, that's rare. And Hi-Fi Rush would be releasing on PlayStation 5. So, again, real quick, Sea of Thieves is like a co-op, pirate-based, mm-hmm. like, living world kind yeah. of game where you get a crew and you guys literally sail your ship and you gotta hoist the sails and man the cannons and yeah. I all that. I think I've seen a video of the gameplay. Interesting concept, but you gotta have, like, a crew, like, a real crew of people to play. It's not a solo game. Right. Yeah. Um, So, kind of a tough game unless you have, like, a group of friends friends. who is, like, free all the time. But I've heard really great things about it. Um, And Rare's been working on Sea of Thieves, and it's been out, but they continue to release. It's like a live Mm -hmm. service kind of experience. Sure. I I would imagine something like that would be... Um, and they've been, it's been out for several years now. And then that Hi-Fi Rush, Bethesda's, uh, kind of small, critically acclaimed, uh, indie style game, you know, Mm -hmm. had a very small team that developed it, um, would also be releasing on PlayStation 5. Um, Phil made a, and then he kind of went off topic when he was talking to The Verge about a few various things. And he he said he made a projection, or he made a projection, I should say, that 10 years from now, he thinks there will be very few true exclusives anymore, implying that even Sony, and I don't know, I doubt Nintendo, but that even Sony would begin putting their games on other consoles. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's an interesting concept. I mean, Microsoft is now starting a trend, potentially. Yeah. Like, if this does well, if they make a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, it's... As out like new as this sounds and as it seems, in retrospect, like why is it just happening now? Why hasn't this happened a long time ago? Because it's they're turning away money by being all exclusive with their stuff. I think the idea was always to sell their consoles. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah. We want to sell our console, but there's maybe sort of a saturation point. Yeah. Like there's no one else to sell consoles to anymore. Yeah, right. You know, there's going to be the normal sales. Everybody is going to own all three. Like it seems that way. All three or well, I mean if they own all three then there's no point in putting games That's true on too, the other yeah. platforms. Yeah. I I think there's I mean you're right. There's there's more money to be made if your game is multi-platform. Yeah. Right? 100%. Now there's more work to be done. You got to like optimize the game for all the different platforms. True. Especially for something like Switch. Yeah. We have Xbox Series and PS5 games that are also I, on I Switch. don't see the port between PlayStation and Xbox being a huge lift, but I think there's back end for... stuff that's probably more pain in the butt to deal with like trophies and achievements and their uh, their submission requirements and stuff and how they expect things to be set up. Yeah. Um, but performance wise and stuff like that, I don't see a big, no, between the two. I mean, there's the real lift is heavy lift is going to be switch. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if this starts a trend, you know, and let's say Microsoft makes a lot of money doing this, like they're, yeah, since they do this, their profits are up. They start bringing more of their games to PS5 and switch. Right. Then Sony is going to get pressure from their shareholders to be like, look at what your competitor is yeah. doing. Why aren't you doing Look that? at how much money they're making. They're going to get in their face. <laughs> Why are you not putting your games on other yeah, platforms? 100%. And then Sony's going to basically have not to have an answer. It. Yeah. I mean, well, their answer is going to be like, well, okay, I guess we have to do that too. Yeah, right. Yeah. But they're already going to be behind. Yeah. So I gotta imagine Sony seeing this and going like, "Well, Sony is definitely having talks and considering the. They're having meetings every day, talking about this. Oh yeah. On one hand, they're probably like, "We won, guys. Mm -hmm. Xbox is conceding. You know, that's the wrong talk to be having. Yeah, I think that's the talk that the general public is having. Yeah, but that's not how Sony should be seeing it. No, they should be seeing this like, uh oh, yeah, we got to react, and we're already behind. Right. Xbox doesn't just, or Microsoft, you know, these three console holders don't just throw the towel in. That's not a move that they make. Well, let's talk about Nintendo. Yeah. I don't think Nintendo's thinking, oh, let's start bringing Zelda over to PlayStation, right? That's a good idea. There is no way. No. Nintendo will be the last group. Nintendo shareholders will be yelling at them, and they'll be like, no, we're not doing that. They, uh... I, this plays into like the quirks that n- makes Nintendo who they are, right? Um, for better and worse, yeah. Um, I think this is part of the reason Nintendo's been so successful and memorable, etc. And it's the reason that like we have some problems with them. Yeah. Um, they could adapt, but they refuse to until they're forced to. Yep. And it's they've always been that way. Yeah. So yeah, they will be the the holdout on this. If yeah. and if Sony caves, it'll be years until Nintendo does the same thing. Yeah, I think. Oh yeah. Um, and then Phil kind of switched. Oh okay, so he he started talking about hardware because there were rumors that uh, that Xbox would be you know getting out of making consoles right. and they would just be a third party yes. games developer now. The, the implication being that because they are putting their exclusives on other platforms. They're dissolving their need for their own hardware. Exactly. So he, uh, Phil reaffirmed 
reaffirmed support for the future of Xbox hardware unit by saying they were already in the planning stages for the next generation of Xbox, and he promised the largest technical leap seen yet for Xbox hardware. Disappearance of digital, or disappearance of physical, that's what that is. Well, you know, we'll have more news on that topic in next week's episode. Okay. Or not next week's, the 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 second episode we're recording after this. Tonight's next episode. Yeah, which is, these are both this week's episodes. Yeah, right. Um, And then Phil started talking about handheld games, like randomly. Yeah. Or handheld gaming devices. And without elaborating, he just went on, started praising them. Uh, But he admitted that the worst part of handheld PCs is Windows. He says Xbox and Microsoft are working to make a better handheld experience for handheld PCs. Mm -hmm. Or a handheld Windows experience for handheld PCs. See, that's a good thing. That's a positive thing. I think so, too. Unless he means digital only. Well, they would be digital only. Never mind that. Um, I mean... Pretty much all handheld PCs yeah. are digital only. Yeah. Um, you know, Steam Deck is that way. And then there's some newcomers that are like pure PC operating systems on these handheld gaming systems. Yeah. And these handheld PCs. Like Windows. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, there's that FTC upload where Microsoft publicly put a bunch of documents online that anyone could see. Yeah. Included uh, on one of the slides basically showed that Microsoft was in some, like, concepting phases for a potential right. Xbox handheld. It showed their roadmap for the next 10 years. And... Yeah, and there were all these little, like, circles, and it showed, like, the different things yeah. they were looking at. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's quite possible that they're already working on their own handheld. Or, you know, yeah. nothing came of it. They're right. just going to let other people manufacture them. Right. Um, I mean, I think their best move would be to build support like let others handle the hardware end Mm -hmm. of it and then just like put out like you know windows handheld or something like that yeah like a certified xbox handheld and then you know put out updates for that and do support yeah you know they could make a lot of money doing that i mean they're struggling you know ps5 is outselling xbox series consoles two to one yeah so i mean they're already struggling with their own hardware Mm-hmm. So it's like, do they really want to risk making a new handheld device right. that, you know, maybe won't, right. you know, and then they're left with a bunch of Windows handhelds? Yeah. I mean, I, I love that, like, isn't that the craziest thing? Like, the industry is, like, trending back towards handheld, like, devices yeah, and consoles. Yeah, it's something bizarre. We had the PlayStation Portal. We obviously have a new Switch on the horizon, or so we think. I mean, like, the Vita kind of faded. Yeah. You know? And then like, we went and the kind of almost a, a sort of and, anti-handheld yeah, sentiment. Right. Until the Switch. Until the Switch. Which and, changed everyone's mind. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then, now there's all these competitors. All these handheld PCs are affected Yeah, we have Switch Steam Deck and, I mean, even PC has gone handheld. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, there's the and, Legion Go is a handheld PC. Yeah. And then, you know, obviously, like I said, PlayStation Portal, which isn't really a system. It's a peripheral, right. but it's a handheld experience. Yeah. And, yeah, now Xbox is talking about it. Yep. So everyone's going to have a handheld. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, there's there's rumors and, like, really unsubstantiated, not super credible rumors mm-hmm. that PlayStation is working on yeah. a portable, a, a handheld PS5, effectively. A proper handheld system. Yeah. 
that would play PS4 and PS5 games. Digital. It would be digital only. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's... Who knows? I don't want to dwell on yeah, that Yeah, we'll much. report on that when we actually know something. Yeah, when there's something a little more concrete. Um... Microsoft also announced that Xbox Game Pass now has 34 million subscribers. Now, again, Xbox Game Pass is their subscription service, kind of Netflix style, mm-hmm. where you can download any number of hundreds of games at whenever you feel like mm-hmm. and play them. And it includes all Xbox first-party games day one. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to pay $60 to buy a new brand new game. You can just download it if you're paying, you know, $16 a month for Xbox Games Pass. Mm-hmm. And uh, so 34 million subscribers now. But what they don't tell you is that this number includes the new Game Pass Core, which was formerly known as Xbox Live Gold. Right. Which is a totally different service yeah. than Game Pass. Right. Well, but, they need to show those numbers. Yeah. So Game Pass Core, what Game Pass Core offers is online play and then a small selection of like 10 games that you just always have access to when you're a Game Pass Core subscriber. Mm -hmm. Very similar to like PlayStation Plus kind of thing. Right. Um, So Xbox Game Pass differs from the Game Game Pass Pass Core. Core. Exactly. How? how? Um, uh, well, Game Pass, as I just said, is the full experience right. where you can download hundreds of different games. And then and Core has just, like, stuff on sale. Core is just Xbox Live Gold plus, like, ten games. That okay. you Just the same ten games always right. that you have access to. Gotcha. So, and they're, like, older games. You know, they're not, like, right. new, brand right. new experiences. It's kind of like on PS5 when it first launched, you had access to, like, these, like, dozen games. Mm-hmm. That were just, like, free if you had a PS5. Right. Um, and so, but, so the last time we had numbers about Games Pass and Xbox Live Gold was back in April of 2022, when there were 33.6 million subscribers between both offerings. Mm-hmm. So that means in two years, Xbox Game Pass and Xbox Live Gold, and an Xbox, or now Game Pass Core, has only gone up point. Four million subscribers. That's basically stagnation. Yeah. Like Game Pass has saturated. Yeah. Like the people who are going to get Game Pass have got have it. got Game Pass. Yeah. So that and that's no one just, else is getting it. That's just showing no growth. So yeah, Microsoft is not seeing that. Okay, we've reached the saturation point in Game Pass. Yeah. This is why we're releasing our games elsewhere because we have to find more growth. Mm-hmm. Um. And um. Also. To, wasn't there, um, no, never mind, continue. Yeah, that you might be confixing it with the story for the next episode. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, so that's, that's basically the business update. It wasn't, like, a big hoopla as people thought it was going to be. Right. Pretty much shut down most of the, like, the crazy, insane rumors that were coming out of it. Right. Um, but, yeah, they are now publishing their games on other platforms. Yeah. And, you know, they're going to play a wait-and-see approach if they bring some of their bigger titles over to PlayStation. But for now, they're just starting with, you know, smaller, you know... Like I said in, I think, last week's episode, they got to be careful about upsetting their core Mm-hmm. Xbox people. Yeah. If they just start putting Starfield and all these other exclusives on PlayStation, yeah. they're going to upset the Xbox bros. Yeah. So knowing Xbox bros and the just stereotypical specimen that is the Xbox bro, uh, they're not 
there's no way they're happy about Xbox's exclusives going to Nintendo and Sony. No, but I think if you're going to try to get them used to the idea... Yeah, this is how you do this it. This is how you do it. Yeah. You give them the little games that and they really... make sure to tell them it's not going to be Starfield and it's not going to be Indiana Jones. <laughs> not yet. Yeah, not yet. <laughs> but when those games have sold as much as they've sold on Xbox, we'll, we're going to bring it over. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's interesting. Uh... I think this it could be sort of a Pandora's box for the industry. Yeah. Um, it would be nuts if, like, Last of Us ends up on Xbox five years from now. Yeah. You know? Right. But, I mean, you got to get more money. Mm-hmm. Or at least that's, that's what yeah. they're thinking. Yeah, I mean, so uh, when we first heard about this, the big question was, why are they doing this? Mm-hmm. And now we know. I mean, from our own analysis, we can, I can say we know why. This is why. They, they want more money, and yeah. they, they can't get any more from the people who already use Xbox. Right. Yeah. We have the next news story. Um, it's an unfortunate one. We're pouring one out. We're pouring one out, as we do here on the Bit Beacon broadcast, for Yoshitaka Murayama. He was a game designer. He produced, game director, game director, designer, yeah. producer. Um. He was 55 years old, and he passed. Yeah, I mean, young. That's young. Yeah, uh, died. Um, passed away, I should say, on February 6th, unfortunately, due to complications. Okay, real quick aside. Yeah. Passed away. I don't know. I always feel like that puts like a softness to it. <laughs> died. He, yeah. Like I don't he's know. Dead. It's it's got to be a little real. Yeah, I I feel you on that. Yeah, I agree. Um, so. Ongoing illnesses was, I guess... the reason given by the, re- yeah. Yeah, uh, the company, the recent company he had founded. Um, so he's uh, known for directing, producing, and writing uh, the first three games in Konami's uh, series on the uh, pl- early PlayStation. Um, Sui Koden, if you're familiar with that franchise, uh, did that come over here? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it did. Yeah, there's right. a huge following for it over here. It was a JRPG, which there usually are huge followings for. Yeah, especially if, that era. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, JRPGs. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one came out in 1995 in Japan, and then 1996 over here. Uh, so, yeah, it's a Japanese RPG series based loosely on a Chinese novel called Water Margin, which was thought to be written in the 1300s. Uh, Sui Koden features a playable roster of over 100 party members. Yeah, that's random battles, that's huge turn-based combat, dungeons, and side quests. For PS1, that's huge. Yeah. That's a big game. Basically, everything you'd want a JRPG to have, yeah. this game had. Uh, the battle scene takes place in sort of an isometric style view, giving the appearance of a 3D environment, but all the art assets were like traditional, like 2D mm-hmm. look to it. So I was doing some research on on him, just you know, on my own, and uh, I I read something in his philosophy section on okay. uh, on Wikipedia that okay. I just did I, you look at the source for it? No. Okay. But you know, we we do our best. Yeah, we here. do our best. This is uh, real groundbreaking <laughs> journalism here. Anyways, it it touched me a little bit. Just this one line. Okay. Um, 
he was uh, inspired by a line of code in Enix's 1992 RPG Dragon Quest V. Okay. A line of code. A line of code. <laughs> where each time the player is killed and resurrected, the dialogue from the priest character who resurrects them yeah. is slowed down a little. Mm. So this guy was... It says... Uh, Murayama wanted to use small details such as this to give his games the uh, greater sense of realism and emotional depth. Mm. And I just feel like I really understand what he means. Yeah. Like that resonates with yeah, you. Yeah, it just I know what that's like. I I do that. Yeah. You know, and not to turn his death and his legacy into me and Seraphim. <laughs> um but just in learning from his legacy, uh that like you, I know you have played Seraphim, and you see what I'm talking about. Like, I do stuff like that. Like, when the character dies, that's slowed way down. Yeah. And I went way out of my way to, to do stuff like that. Because yeah, I mean, maybe some might say... Too much? To your detriment. Right. To the game's, like, right. development. Right. But when it... But ultimately, yeah. those will be the things that players remember and think about. And But not even consciously, I think. They're not going to say, oh, look, it's slowed down. Right. They're going to feel that it's slowed down. Right. You know, and I I focus on that. Like, yeah. I really, like, that's, for me, more important to me than a game's story, even, yeah. sometimes. Um, but, yeah, so that just, I feel like I understand where he came from in his philosophy toward... I mean, just that, just thinking about Dragon Quest real quick, it's like, yeah, you're talking to, like, an old priest, so, yeah, mm-hmm. his speech... And, you know, you're not hearing a voice, but you're, like, the text is appearing on screen, and maybe they adjust the little... As right. They, you know, just, like, the pitch of that, so yeah. it sounds deeper or something. Or the letters spelling out the, yeah. the dialogue, yeah. Yeah, you can convey a lot through those things. Yeah. Oh, that's what I love about old games. Yeah, yeah. You, you worked within limitations, yeah. and so games on Game Boy and stuff, when they did stuff like that, it was well, profound. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, Miriyama uh, departed Konami shortly after or shortly before the release of the third Suikoden game, a release on PS2, and founded his own studio, Blue Moon Studio, who produced one game for PS2. 10,000 bullets. Mm-hmm. It received a poor reception from reviewers and sold less than 20,000 copies in Japan, though it did receive an international release in Europe but did not release in the US. Right. I want to say I had heard of that game. Uh, I looked it up. It had, uh, I watched some like footage. I was curious. Mm-hmm. It was like a, an action game, almost like Devil May Cry ish. Okay. Um, but uh, didn't quite. Uh, it wasn't like do pl- the execution platinum game style. No, no. I mean, it looks interesting. Mm-hmm. Like looking back on it, now, I was like, oh, I kind of want to like pop that in and check right. it out. You know. Yeah. But uh, not didn't set the world on fire. Um, and so he kind of went into a hiatus from. 2000 you know the around the time i think we were in high school like 2005 2006 right he didn't do much of anything um then in 2017 the release of the alliance alive for the nintendo 3ds came out uh miriyama served as the game scenario writer for the game he joined the project after the initial setting was already developed but was responsible for developing the story and the characters of the game Perhaps it was his experience on the Alliance Alive that would kind of 
reinvigorate him and kind of uh, maybe want him to get back into making games again. Yeah. So in June of 2020, Mariyama announced his new studio, Rabbit and Bear Studios, via a Kickstarter project for their new game, Ayudin Chronicle 100 Heroes. Mm Mm-hmm. As you can imagine, yes. we mentioned Suikoden had a hundred playable characters. Clearly a spiritual successor. Yeah. Um, and the Suikoden series has been dormant. Konami's done nothing with it in years and years and years. Um, and this this new project, uh, Ayudin Chronicle, Hundred Heroes, like was a formation of like a lot of the key members of the original like Suikoden team that mm-hmm. worked on the first few games. Right. Um, the Kickstarter campaign raised five hundred thousand U.S. dollars in less than four hours, and by the end of the campaign, about a month later, they had raised more than four point five million U.S. dollars. In the wake of the Kickstarter success, uh, interestingly, Konami has unveiled mm-hmm. remastered versions of the first two Sui Coding games are set for release sometime this year, <laughs> in twenty twenty four. Now. It's 2024, and Aiden Chronicles 100 Heroes is releasing in May of this year. Mm-hmm. The project that was announced back in 2020 with the Kickstarter yeah. is now finally coming out. And Mariana, unfortunately, will not be around to see it get into the hands of the players and the people who help support uh, basically making his dream come back. Yeah, that's sad, you know, but uh, at least he got that out. At least he got that yeah. development cycle done. I mean, he was the director on this new game and also did the scenario for it. But my understanding was that like his his work was completed. There's actually a statement from his studio that mm-hmm. I'll read right now that kind of talks about... Uh, Rabbit and Bear Studios. Rabbit and Bear Studios. A great studio. name. Yeah. Um, they have like a really... Or Bear and Rabbit, sorry. Yeah, their they're little logo is uh, very cute. You put Rabbit and Bear up here, and then it's Bear and Rabbit down here. Well, I got it a little mixed up. It's okay. Rabbit and Bear Studios. Okay. Um, so here's the official statement that they put out. Hello, everyone. It's with a heavy heart and deep sadness we must inform you that the scenario writer and head of Rabbit and Bear Studios, Yoshitaka Murayama, has passed away on February 6th due to complications with an ongoing illness. Miriyama first began this journey of the creation of Aiden Chronicle 100 Heroes in 2020 through the support of his very loving fans on Kickstarter. Throughout the three-plus-year development of the game, it was always the passion from his fans that continued to drive his creative vision and motivate him to put his all into the project. His hard work on Aiden Chronicles as a scenario writer was finished, but as his co-workers and friends, it saddens us to know that he won't get to see the reactions from his fans. However, even with those feelings, we need to accept the reality that he is no longer with us and continue to push his dream forward by releasing Aiden Chronicle to the world. We want to maintain his legacy and vision with this game and know that it, know that he would have wanted the rich world he created with Aiden to live on, Aiden Chronicle to live on. His family sincerely appreciates your prayers and support, but ask for privacy and that no flowers, mail, or other offerings be sent. We will have more information on organizational changes to Rabbit and Bear as well as change to some of the Kickstarter rewards in the near future. For now, we appreciate your continued support. So, mm-hmm. interesting line at the end there. Changes to Kickstarter rewards. Yeah. I believe that was because some of the rewards included, like, signed mm-hmm. copies. Or meeting him or something. I don't know about meeting him. Maybe there was, like, some virtual meet-and-greet style thing. Okay. 
Uh, I know um, shortly before his death, um, they actually on their Twitter account um, gave like they they did like uh, like a contest, not a contest, but like retweet for a chance to win a signed poster from the dev team. Mm-hmm. And there's like a picture of him like sitting with the dev team and like holding the signed poster. Yeah. And they gave away two of those. Oh, okay. Via Twitter. Jeez. And he didn't look particularly well in the photo yeah. that I saw. He, yeah. He looked a little haggard, a little worse for wear. Um, but kind of crazy that these two lucky people are going to have, yeah. Like maybe some of the last things he signed. Uh, yeah, for the for the game even. Yeah, like imagine that's got to be like a priceless treasure for those people. Yeah. I tried. Yeah. I retweeted it, but I did not win. Um yeah, sad. It's always going to be sad when we lose a game industry legend. Yeah. But we will carry on. Yeah, we, the show must go on. The show must go on. Even they said it themselves. We yeah. have to accept the fact that he's not here anymore. You don't have another option. Yeah, I mean, I think they have big plans for Aiden Chronicle. Yeah, like they they envision like a whole new franchise, which is what he would want. Yeah, that's what I would want. Yeah, you know. Um. So that's that's good that you know, and he was the founder of the studio. So they mentioned like we're gonna have to figure out some organizational changes here yeah um so i mean yeah they're kind of getting real but uh it sounds like they want to stick around for the long term and not just put one game out and, right and then shudder yeah that's not what he would want no yeah. so our next news story um so again well real quick let's just virtually pour some out oh yeah everyone yeah everybody. Glass. one right. for me one for my homies um okay next news though uh not as not as sad at least not for us some playstation gamers might not be reacting too great to this news yeah but playstation uh sony president i should say hiroki totoki love that name yeah what a perfect name great name yeah hiroki totoki you won't forget it nope (laughs) perfect perfect for a president um he said regarding first he was addressing uh shareholders when he made this statement yeah okay so keep in mind people talking to investors yeah not not the public not the press not the media right but this information of course gets out right to everyone eventually so he said regarding first party software we aim to continue to focus on producing high quality works and developing live service games but while major projects are currently under development we do not plan to release any new major existing franchises Franchise titles next year, like God of War and Marvel Spider-Man 2. So basically, what he's saying is this coming year, do not expect any big tentpole major releases that are going to you know sell 10 plus million copies. Mm-hmm. No God of War, no Horizon, no, no Marvel Spider-Man. But what this doesn't necessarily mean is that there won't be no new games right. from Sony. There's just not going to be anything major. Right, that shareholders are even interested in hearing about, unfortunately. Perhaps, yeah, because the the games that Sony is maybe going to be putting out this year are not... They don't anticipate them making investors, like, a a bunch of money. Being blockbusters of any degree or... Right. Um, So what this means is that until at least March 31st of 2025, players should not expect anything major big big budget yeah big budget temple releases i mean 
I don't necessarily see that as a bad thing. Mm-hmm. I think this gives time for third parties in particular an mm-hmm. opportunity to breathe and sell some games. Yeah, and... right. Um, it, yeah, it gives a whole window for like new releases from other studios because you don't want to release your game when Sony's releasing theirs. Yeah, you know, and even you know potentially some new IPs. Right. Or some lesser-known IPs get a chance to shine that are which first is, party. Which is welcome. It seems like it kind of like ebbs and flows a little bit, but there are times when we're just saturated with sequels. And oh, that's yeah. all that's coming out as sequels. Yeah. I mean, we know Sony's publishing Stellar Blade. Yeah. Which is not a first-party developed title, but it's sort of a first-party publishing deal. Right. Um, I mean, we got maybe the biggest game of the year potentially launching i think it's tomorrow mm-hmm. or friday with final fantasy 7 yeah rebirth rebirth um and you know that game i'll just briefly mention it's you know for people who care about reviews it's very very high it's like 93 yeah. or 94 metacritic score um very well could be you know the biggest game that comes out this year right and this square is... enix needs that win yeah so good for them um, this is part two of, you know, did they say it was going to oh, be yeah, three the, parts, right? Yeah, the Final Fantasy VII remake project is three yeah. games. So this three, is three game releases to cr- create, to create one, one yeah. ga- original game. Um, but, you know, obviously they're expanding and fleshing out mm-hmm. you know, the world and characters and lore and everything. Um. But so, you know, and that's a, that's a PS5 exclusive, yeah. at least for a year. So even though it's not like a first party tentpole game, mm-hmm. I don't know that gamers are necessarily going to be like cognizant of the fact that they're not getting a call of duty, a, or... a big, you know, massive release yeah. from PlayStation. Cause for most of their perspectives, they're probably like PlayStation makes Final Fantasy. Yeah. You know? Right. <laughs> Ignorance, but yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I. I don't know. People who just care about Spider-Man. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't, maybe don't say anything. Yeah. Um, Totoki also had a few other comments for uh, shareholders, which I think we should take a look at. Um, he talked about their expectations for a decline in PS5 sales and services over the coming fiscal year. He said, regarding the PlayStation 5 hardware, hardware which will enter its fifth year since launch, partially due to its entering the latter half of the console cycle, mm-hmm. essentially saying that PS5's old, like, yeah. PS5's at the halfway point. Yeah. Does that not feel insane to you? To yeah, hear? yeah, it does. You say that? Like, I feel like the PS5 just came out. I have, like, personal, well, I, I don't know about personal, I do have personal experience hearing this from the mouth of Sean Layden, but yeah. they do it in the press all the time. They're very quick to, like, move on mentally yeah. when it comes to hardware and stuff. I guess maybe they almost have to. Yeah. You know, they have to start working immediately on whatever's next. Right. Um, even though it may not be something players see for a decade. Right. Um, but, uh, so, yeah, they said, partially due to it entering the latter half of the console cycle, we aim to optimize sales with greater emphasis on balance with profits. So we anticipate a gradual decline in unit sales from next fiscal year onwards. We expect third-party software sales to continue to expand gradually due to the expansion of the PlayStation 5 install base and the high level of user engagement and network services. 
We expect subscribers to be on par with this fiscal year or slightly less due to the impact of price revision of a price revision we implemented in this fiscal year. He's talking about PlayStation Plus went up in price. Yeah. And it went up kind of a significant portion. It jumped up like 20% or something like that. Yeah. So I think a lot the, there's been He's basically saying that people have stopped subscribing due yeah. to that price increase. Yeah. But because of the increase, it's basically just evened out. Yeah. So essentially what he's admitting here is that they alienated customers yeah. and got no more revenue than they had prior. So now they have less people subscribing to PlayStation Plus. This is Jim Ryan's PlayStation. Um, right. More on Jim Ryan's PlayStation yeah. in the next episode. <laughs> right. Um but uh, that's kind of crazy. It's like, why did they do the price increase? All they did was upset people, lose subscribers, and they didn't gain any more money. In fact, he says they might lose money yeah, right. compared to the previous but year. But because it had immediate, you know, immediate uh, results. Right. You know, that's, that's the only reason. Yeah. And they'll figure the rest out later. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure over time, subscribers will come back. Right. Um, I don't know. I think Sony's solution to uh like their playstation plus problem that they have now Mm -hmm. is they need to introduce a new tier that the only thing it offers is online play yeah they not i don't have time to play all these free games yeah right Um, i I don't have time to play the games i want to play that would not be conducive to their incentive because they probably know that there's a bunch of people like you that would jump down who, who need that who need that specifically yeah and you know i don't know you know if what, they can sell you a bunch of free games <laughs> that you're paying for that you don't ever play right they they're going to take that yeah i mean i i don't know like xbox is trying to find ways to expand their reach mm-hmm. and sony seems like they're doing the opposite here. Yeah. If you want to find new ways to expand, you need to find cheaper ways to get people involved in your ecosystem. Right. And I think that's an avenue that they should explore, whether they agree. I mean, like you said, they're probably worried that there's going to be a bunch of people who, at the moment they have the opportunity to jump down to a cheaper yeah. tier, they would do it in a heartbeat. If, if all they need is online play, they and they can just buy that by itself, mm-hmm. yeah. No one's going to even subscribe. Very few people are going to subscribe. I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it might be an immediate like loss, mm-hmm. but I think over time it might... I mean, it's up to... They have to make it attractive right. to subscribe to the higher tiers of the service. Unfortunately, shareholders want immediate results yeah. for the next quarter. Right. And then, you know, it's up to Sony to figure out how they're going to repair their long-term damage. Yeah crazy yeah um totoki also commented on his new role as chairman of sony interactive entertainment aka playstation yeah um it was funny he's the president of sony and mm-hmm. now he's also the chairman of sie yeah basically sort of taking over jim ryan's responsibility who's by the way jim ryan has not left playstation quite yet yeah he's still he's, there he's still there still doing stuff making layoffs <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll talk more about that next episode. Um, so he said this, I also visit studios and everyone is working really hard to fulfill their responsibility to try and optimize the business. And I understand that. But overall growth and sustainable profitabil- profit, uh, profitability 
or increasing margin, how will that translate to these goals? I don't think people understand that deeply. I think that is the problem of the organization. So as far as I'm concerned, I try to understand what is happening in the company, in the industry, and also in the perspective of the analyst, and try to explain in a transparent manner so that people can recognize and notice these issues so that we can have a harmonized approach going forward. That is a very general comment since I became chairperson. There are concrete points which I will not go into today. And before we talk about that, I want to get into this next statement because it kind of flows into it. Yeah. Now, about visiting the studios, and I've had meetings with the leaders there, the studios. He's talking about all the different like PlayStation first-party game studios. Mm-hmm. People who work in the studios have very high motivation. They're very highly motivated. They're very good people, and they're very creative people. They have great creative minds, <laughs> and they also have knowledge about live streaming. <laughs> what? Yeah, I know. This is like a translation from Japanese. Okay. It wasn't the official corporate translation that was released Got it. later. Okay. Um, however, having said that, when it comes to the business itself, I think there's room for improvement. And that's got to do about how to use the money or about the schedule of development or how to fulfill one's accountability towards development, etc. Those are my frank impressions. So I will continue to engage in dialogue with the people so that we can find the right way to proceed. Mm-hmm. Okay, specifically that last paragraph. Yeah. That's him basically saying these studios have no idea where this money comes from, how to spend it, yeah. how to be how to make games in a manner that like exceeds how much they get cost to make. Right. Um like they just don't he I guess they're just out of control. And maybe this is because Jim Ryan is like, I want everybody making live service games. Yeah. Which don't have a normal development cycle. Yeah, that's not... Like other games do. Yeah, and you can't just... Extreme extreme hypothetical example, you can't just take a, a, a studio that makes sports games and has always made sports games and that's their specialty mm-hmm. and tell them to make live action or live... Well, live service. most service game, most live, most sports games are True, live service yeah, games now. I shouldn't have picked sports, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah, like Naughty Dog, make a yeah. make a live service game. They right. tried and they failed. Right, just making puzzle games all day. Yeah, you know, okay, go make Sea of Thieves. <laughs> you know, like that doesn't work. No, but they think it works that way because they're not creative people. Nope. Um, um. So yeah, I don't know. I see this comment as sort of like he's walking into these studios he's very impressed with all the interesting things they're doing yeah, no. but he doesn't think that they see how what reality is like right and that like well, they, they're not thinking about money basically yeah and he is not like a games person yeah this hiroki totoki mm-hmm. um he's like a sony bigwig mm-hmm. you know he's a suit He's As a suit, uh, like a super suit. Super suit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Walking suit. Yeah. Um, and so, on his mind, he's thinking about money. Yeah. Like, making money, not losing money. Yeah. He's walking into these studios, and he's like, we're losing <laughs> yeah, money. That's like the depth of his, like, his, his like, capacity. Make money, don't lose money. Oh, like, when, the, when, yeah. That that's just like, it's like the little levers go up. Yeah. And down. That's like two dials in his yeah. head. That's all he's got. Yeah, like I mean, just like when he's like, "Oh, these are all interesting, smart people." Yeah, well, look creative. at wow, wow, whoa, whoa. whoa. 
Yeah. Tatoki-san, check this out. Yeah, you know? just like yeah, looking at shiny stuff. No, when this guy's coming into your office, if mm-hmm. you're in charge of the studio, oh yeah, you're crapping bricks. Oh yeah, you are. Yeah, like this is not a good thing that you, this guy is here. You tuck your shirt in. <laughs> yeah, and you're. Yeah. Look, oh, yeah. Look, look at this. Look. Red alert. The alarms yeah. are going off as right. people are Everybody walking Everybody wrap everything up. Yeah. Tie it up. Tie it like just Mickey Mouse it on the back end. No goofing today. Yeah. Just, yeah, just patch everything. Get everything working. If it's not working, just cut it out. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, this is scary, and it's going to lead into a piece of news in the second episode we're recording tonight. That is, you know, upsetting. Yeah. Um, so you can only imagine what that is. Yep. But before we wrap this episode up, we mentioned in episode 21 that there was this rumor of a Nintendo Direct that was maybe getting bumped because of the Xbox business update. Well, that's what happened. Yeah. The Direct got bumped to last week and is now, um, it's out, it's happened, mm-hmm. and we're going to address it first thing. In the next episode. Yeah. So you'll have to jump over to that, which we'll be releasing just a couple days after episode 22. End transmission.